This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Hi there, I'm Brad Koneman. I'm one of the pastors at Anchor Church and part of Newtown Gospel Community. We've loved over the last month having people in our home for church at home. It's been such a rich experience uh, meeting together, sitting under God's word together, responding in prayer and Lord's Supper and worship and sharing a meal together. It's been so wonderful. And so if you're tuning in with your church at home group, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we pray that today is a really rich experience for you as you sit under God's word together and respond together. If you're watching online, we're so glad you've joined us. Um, we would love to help you get connected with our community. Uh, so remember to hit the connect with us button and we'd love to help you connect with one of our church at home groups. Thanks for tuning in for our Deconstructing God series. We're going to be continuing today looking at the big question of suffering. In 2015, the British actor, comedian and atheist Stephen Fry was interviewed and he was asked the question, if you could ask God a question, if God was real that is, what would you say to him? And Stephen Fry said this, bone cancer in children, what's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is so much misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It is utterly, utterly evil. We feel the emotional force of that response, don't we? We know deep in our bones that there is something wrong with our world. We look around and we see a global pandemic that has taken countless lives. We see the reality of global poverty, of systemic racism, of sex slavery, climate change, child abuse. But the reality of suffering is much more personal for many of us, isn't it? Because we all suffer. If you live long enough, you will suffer. Uh, many of you are experiencing health issues, chronic pain, unemployment, job loss, financial stress. Many of you have experienced the, the grief of having a miscarriage or a stillbirth or battling infertility. Uh, the rates of depression and anxiety are just through the roof at the moment. Uh, and we all experience the disappointment of unrealized hopes and dreams. And of course, we'll all come face to face with death, the sudden loss of loved ones. In the darkness of our pain, in the darkness of our suffering, God feels absent. And we're left questioning, God, are you even there? And if you are, are you good? Do you really love me? Do you even care? Many, many people have have walked away from God due to the painful reality of suffering. We're left asking the question, if God exists, how could he possibly allow suffering? This is such an important question. And we want to create a safe space for us to wrestle with this together. Today, I'm not going to be able to say everything there is to say. But I hope today as we look at God's word and consider a biblical response to this vital question that if you are suffering, that you'll find the hope and healing and comfort of Christ. And if you're wrestling with this question and 
you know, walking away from God, I hope that you'll see that the Christian story offers us a better story to live by in the face of suffering. That's my hopes for today. We're going to pray because I know I need God's help and we need God's help to listen. Uh, so let's pray together and then we'll, we'll get into it. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we come before you and we're very aware of the wounds in our own lives. Father, we are aware of the painful reality of suffering in our own lives and in the world in which we live. Father, help us to sit under your word, to listen to what you have to say. We ask that those who are suffering today would find hope and comfort in Jesus. And that you, as we seek the truth, that you would reveal yourself to us today and give us answers in the, question, in the face of this really big and personal question. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start by saying that I'm definitely not an expert in suffering. I've had a very privileged upbringing, and I'm sure that the scars that I bear are minor compared to many of you. At the same time, the last year has probably been one of the most difficult in my life. Uh, in August last year, my grandma died uh, to bone cancer, and it was actually the first person in my family that's ever died. And I was unprepared for how much that would rock my, my life. Uh, not only have I been experiencing the, the pain of grief and sadness at the loss of someone I love, but uh, yeah, my life has been kind of thrown into the darkness of doubt where my faith just seems weak and I'm left going, God, where are you in the middle of this? When we cry out, where are you, God? Well, why is this happening, God? That's a question that isn't asking for an intellectual, philosophical response. It's a, it's a, that question expresses a painful experience, an emotional experience of suffering. You think about the, the mother who's holding her stillborn child in the delivery suite, crying out, God, why has this happened? She's not asking for a cold, detached, philosophical answer. That cry, why has this happened, God? expresses her pain and her grief and her anger and her confusion in the face of such extreme suffering. The question, why God, is actually a question that expresses lament towards God. And the first response that the Bible always makes in the face of suffering is lament. In the book of the Psalms, which is the Bible's songbook, 150 songs, written in the Old Testament, expressing all different emotions to God. Many of them express difficult emotions of grief and anger and lament towards God. One of the most famous is Psalm 22, and it begins like this. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh, my God. I cry out by day, but you do not answer. In this psalm of lament, King David, who wrote the psalm, in his suffering, he's expressing that God seems absent. God seems distant. Where are you, God? It seems like you've abandoned me. You're not answering my prayers. The Bible gives us these words of grief and anger to say to God, to turn all of our dark emotions towards God. 
As we scream at God in our grief, that's not blasphemy. That's not irreligious. Screaming at God in grief and anger is actually the most appropriate thing that we can do as we face suffering. You see, Stephen Fry, as he goes, how dare you, God? That's actually much closer to biblical lament than I'm sure that he would dare think or imagine. My wife, Catherine, has suffered bouts of depression throughout her life. And probably the worst of those was a few years ago as um, it was exacerbated by the agony of sleepless nights with little children. Um, And it was a really dark season for us as a family. And her response was anger. God, why, why won't you hear my prayers? Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? Why is my life so hard at the moment? And that anger, that lament was entirely appropriate for the pain and the grief that she and we as a family were experiencing. If you're suffering in your life at the moment, I don't want you to hear today. I don't want you to hear just kind of cold, detached, philosophical answers in response to some hypothetical problem of suffering. I want you to hear that you have permission to scream. You have permission to scream. Why is this happening, God? Where are you? Because you stand in good company. You stand with David in the Bible. You stand with Job who lost everything and was left sitting in the ashes saying, the arrows of the Almighty are in me. Why are you doing this to me, God? You stand with Jesus who stood before the tomb of Lazarus weeping and when he experienced his own death, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You stand in a long tradition of those who have screamed at God in grief and anger. What you are going through is horrible and it is not God's intention for you to suffer. A truly biblical response to suffering always begins with lament as we cry out to God in our pain and our anger and our grief. But of course, within the context of this series, Deconstructing God, it is really important for us to try and grapple with the philosophical question of, Well, if God exists, how could he possibly allow suffering? We don't start with philosophy. We start with lament, but we do need to address the philosophical question. There's a long tradition in philosophy of philosophers using the existence of suffering as an argument against the existence of God. The argument goes like this, and we'll put it up just beside me. Premise A. An all-powerful God could end pain. Premise B, an all-good God would end pain. Conclusion, since pain exists, an all-powerful, all-good God doesn't exist. It seems like pretty clear and striking logic, doesn't it? God can't exist if, if pain exists. But most modern philosophers recognize that there is a problem with premise B. Premise B assumes that a good God couldn't have good reasons for allowing pain, but we can think of plenty of reasons just in our own lives why we allow pain for good ends. You know, I take my kids to the doctor to get vaccinations. They have the pain of a shot, but that vaccinates them against a a disease. You know, you go to the gym and you work your body and it hurts, but you do that to to get strong and healthy. 
There's the pain of surgery and the pain of pregnancy and birth, all for good ends. Now, of course, none of that explains why God would allow suffering. All of that simply to say that suffering cannot be used as a knockdown logical argument against God's existence. We're still left with the question, why the heck would God allow suffering? And this is a question that haunts my daughter, Eva, who's seven years old. I reckon at least once a month, we'll put Eva to bed and the boys will, they'll sleep in the same room. The boys will start going to sleep and Eva will just be weeping into her pillow. And we'll go in and I'll stroke her hair and I'll say, what's happening, Eva? What are you, what's going on? And she'll say, I just can't stop thinking about death. I just don't understand, Daddy. Why does God let bad things happen? It's a question that you know, breaks a parent's heart and that's so difficult to respond to. Why would God create a world in which evil was possible? Well, to answer that question, it's important for us to go back to the very start of the biblical story, the, the story of creation, uh, which sets out so much of what we believe about who God is and the world in which we live. The, the Bible story begins with a good God who creates a very good creation. As Christians, we believe that God is the cause of everything that is true and beautiful and good. He brings light out of the darkness. He brings order out of chaos. And right at the start, in his perfectly good creation, there is no suffering, no pain, no death, no tears. And God creates humanity to share in his love, but he doesn't make us love him. He doesn't create us as robots. He creates us as free, independent beings who have genuine agency and genuine moral responsibility. We've got the capacity to choose. And that freedom allows love, but that freedom also entails the possibility of rebellion and suffering. And we're familiar with the Bible story and, and the fall of humanity. In Genesis 3, the serpent enters into the garden and causes Adam and Eve to question God's goodness, question what God has, has asked them to do. And Adam and Eve choose to, disobey, to, to disbelieve and to disobey God. Rather than living under God's loving rule, they choose to live their own way, which is the essence of sin. And the consequence of their actions... Uh, Sin fractures our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and even our relationship with the physical creation. They're left living in a world that is broken, infected by sin, and suffering is a symptom of the, that disease. Now, regardless of what you think about whether there was a historical Adam and Eve or not, this story, this origin story of the Bible, is central to the biblical worldview. It establishes that God is good. That God is not the author of evil and that sin comes into the world through human rebellion and that we now suffer because we live in a world that is fractured by sin. We suffer because of sin. Now that doesn't mean that our suffering is a direct result of sin. If you have cancer, you don't have cancer because you sinned. We don't believe in karma where What's happening to you is a direct result of your previous life or your previous behavior. The reason that many of us experience cancer is because our DNA is broken. 
Our physical world, our physical environment is fractured by sin and things don't work the way that they ought to. I think it's important to say here that we need to be very careful about seeking to find divine meaning or divine purpose behind every instance of specific suffering. I think it, you know, it's natural to ask the question, why is this happening to me? But the biblical picture of God is not that he is the immediate cause of all effects. That's much more an Islamic view of God where everything that happens is the direct will of Allah. If you're suffering, why are you suffering? Well, that is the will of Allah, and that's an opportunity for you to submit to his will. The biblical picture of God is, yes, he's in control. Yes, he's responsible for his world, but God's sovereignty is contested by independent human agency. We need to be very careful here because God does not have a good purpose for rape. God does not have a good purpose for murder or child abuse. These things, God hates them. God detests them. God hates evil. And the only appropriate response is protest. This is not right. When you start saying that evil is part of God's good plan, your justification for God can easily end up turning into a justification for evil, which the Bible emphatically rejects. In the end, we cannot find a rational solution to the problem of evil because evil is not there to be understood. Evil must be fought. And ultimately, that's the biggest contribution that the Bible makes to the problem of evil. It tells the story of a God who loves his world so much that he enters into it to fight evil and deliver us from suffering. And the climax of that story is Jesus. In the person of Jesus, God himself takes on flesh. And if we want to know what God is like, all we need to do is look at Jesus. At the cross, Jesus experiences the physical and psychological trauma of crucifixion. He's flogged. He's beaten. He's stripped naked and humiliated. Nails are driven through his wrists and his ankles and his bare body scratches up against a splintered wooden cross. He ex experiences excruciating pain and blood loss and exhaustion and eventually dies from asphyxiation. In the person of Jesus, we see that God shares our wounds. But it's not just that God suffers with us. The story of the Bible is that God suffers for us. At the cross, Jesus does battle against sin and death and evil. And this moment that looks like his greatest defeat is actually his victory. At the cross, God battles evil and conquers it. It's a little bit like the stone table in The, in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Uh, you'll remember that Aslan gives himself over to the Wicked Witch and the Wicked Witch thinks that it's her moment of victory, but then Aslan rises from the dead in an allegory of the story of Jesus. And Aslan says this to Lucy and Susan. Aslan says, When a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Death itself would start working backwards. That's the result of Jesus' death on the cross. And we see that begin to work itself out through his resurrection. 
as Jesus is risen from the dead, all the effects of sin are undone. Humanity can be reconciled to God because sin is forgiven. Our relationships with one another can be restored. Creation itself is made new. And through Jesus, the the blind can see, the lame can walk, the dead can live. The Bible teaches that Jesus' resurrection is a first fruits of things to come. That means it's a guarantee. You think about an apple orchard and the first season apples guarantee the the rest of the harvest that is to come. Just like that, Jesus' resurrection guarantees that what God has done in Jesus, he's going to do for all of his creation. That God will defeat evil. He will make all things new and bring an end to our suffering. You see, in the end, what the Bible offers us isn't just a philosophical answer to the problem of suffering. What the Bible offers us is the story of a God who loves us. The story of a God who shares our wounds, who fights against evil for the healing of the world that he he loves. At the very least, this is a story that you should want to be true. But I believe it is actually a better story than any of the alternatives. You see, the secular narrative, all that it can say is that suffering is natural and random. There's no explanation for it. It simply is. Now, Richard Dawkins crudely puts it like this. He says, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. That sounds like a pretty depressing outlook on life. But when you reduce the secular naturalistic worldview to its bare bones, that's what you get. The secular worldview cannot account for the reality of evil. It has no external reference point for any meaningful moral claims. Evil ends up just being personal preference or cultural construct. And yet this doesn't account for our lived experience in the world. We, We feel in our bones that there is something wrong with child abuse. It is an evil. As C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, uh, reflected on his own journey from atheism to faith in Jesus, he wrote this. Lewis said, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. That sounds just like Stephen Fry, doesn't it? But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? The secular narrative cannot account for the evilness of evil and the wrongness of suffering. The Christian story, I believe, offers greater explanatory power for the world that we find ourselves living in. It gives us a reason why there is something wrong with the world. And it gives us an external transcultural reference point for objective morality. And on top of that, it gives us a story that fights against evil and offers real comfort and hope for the sufferer. So if you don't believe in Jesus, or you find yourself walking away from the Christian God, 
I want to challenge you that you're not going to a neutral position. You're actually walking towards another set of beliefs. And I want to challenge you to examine what you believe. Does your worldview give a satisfactory account for the problem of evil? Does it offer a better story to live by than the Christian story? Wherever you're at on your journey of faith, we want you to know that our community, our church, is a safe place for you to explore those really important questions of life and worldview and meaning. And we hope that you stick around uh, to journey with us and wrestle with these really big, important life, life and worldview questions with us. For those who are suffering, which is all of us, as we face our suffering, what the Bible offers us is the story of Jesus. And in that story, we see a God who is good, a God who loves us, a God who suffers with us and for us, and a God in whose scars we find freedom and healing and hope. And so I want to leave you with just a very short poem, the end of a beautiful poem called Jesus of the Scars, which I think sums up so much of what the Bible offers us and what Jesus offers us in the face of our suffering. Uh, listen to these last two lines of this beautiful poem, Jesus of the Scars. To our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. To our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. I hope that in your wounds, you'll find that the scars of Jesus bring you hope and comfort and healing. And may God bless you.